Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. On June 23rd, around 50 demonstrators gathered in front of Fulton County Jail after Natalie White was arrested for arson in connection to the burned down Wendy's, after Atlanta police shot 27-year-old Rayshard Brooks in the back during a DUI arrest in the restaurant parking lot. She was arrested after a widely shared video of her surfaced on Twitter. It has since been suggested that White was the girlfriend of Rayshard Brooks. It was confirmed by her lawyer that she is the woman Rayshard Brooks was talking about to officers seen on body cam minutes before he was murdered by APD. Outside of the jail, demonstrators spray-painted anti-police slogans and made noise for prisoners inside, calling for the release of all protesters and all prisoners, yelling chants of no good cops, no bad protesters, free them all, and Black Lives Matter. At least one prisoner started a mattress fire in a cell within Fulton County Jail the next morning. Natalie White was granted a $10,000 bond with the conditions that she wear an ankle monitor and refrain from all social media use. Her lawyer has stated they have received overwhelming support from the public. Indiana prisoner Angaza Aman Bahar is still facing harassment and false charges at Miami Correctional Facility. These charges are being used to delay his release from this month to at least August. IDOC Watch has made the following request. Please call the Indiana Department of Corrections Central Office and demand that the remaining charges against Ngaza, aka Jimmy Jones, number 891782, be dropped immediately. Please make sure to mention the case number and the due process violations when you call and leave a message if no one picks up. You can call IDOC Central Office at 317-232-5711, extension 2, extension 3, extension 1. Although the killings of black people by law enforcement have been more represented in the news as of late, many killings of black people go unreported, like the cases of Vincent Gaines in Florida and Elijah McLean in Colorado, as documented by Prison Legal News. Vincent Gaines was a mentally ill black man sentenced in June 2013 to five years in prison for burglary. Instead of treating his mental illness, prison officials placed Gaines in isolation. In December 2015, guards found him unresponsive in his cell. At the time of his death, Gaines weighed 75 pounds less than when he entered prison. When found in his cell, Gaines was dirty and had feces caked on his feet. Prison officials did not notify Gaines's family of his death, burying his body on prison grounds against his family's wishes. No one was charged for his death. In August 2019, 23-year-old Elijah McLean was walking home from a convenience store when police officers approached him. The police department later said that someone had dialed 911 to report a so-called suspicious person in a ski mask. According to the officers, McLean, unarmed and innocent of any crime, resisted arrest. 
Over the course of 15 minutes, police tackled McLean, put him in a carotid hold, and called first responders who injected him with ketamine, an anesthetic. McLean suffered a heart attack in transit to the hospital and died a few days later after being declared brain dead. No one was charged for his death. We have the statement that was sent to us from an incarcerated person inside of Winnebago County about their conditions. Quote, I am a federal detainee being held in Winnebago County Jail. I've been incarcerated here for three years. There is a mixture of inmates. I don't know the exact number, but you can say approximately 70% black of a population of around 500 inmates. On April 5th, the county jail was placed on lockdown. We are given three hours out of our cell each day if staff levels permit this. Some days we don't get all of this time. Right now, everyone is frustrated and disappointed on how things are going and no one can tell us when the lockdown is going to end. We are locked in our cells with a bright fluorescent light shining on us all day, except it is dimmed from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. They have taken our free visits away. They were giving us free phone calls, but they have since taken that away. The only thing they give us is one free envelope a week if you have no money on your account. The staff treat us any kind of way, and there is no way for things to get better here. We are all pre-trial detainees, not even convicted of a crime, simply just accused. I've been getting help from the mutual aid group through donations to provide help to inmates who need help, maybe a phone call to their family or commissary, but only so much can be done with limited resources. But you can't expect nothing from the system that is labeled as correctional, but there's nothing about the way they handle us that is going to correct anything or help us want to get better. We are just forgotten about and treated worse than convicted criminals in the state penitentiaries. Police and prison guards serve to protect larger systems of racial power and exploitation, but they also function as self-interested forces in their own right. The California Correctional Peace Officers Association is the state prison guard union and for decades has been a major force for prison expansion and for the impunity of guards to injure and kill prisoners. They infamously sued to stop the publication of prison rebel James Carr's memoirs, which detailed guard violence, leading a judge to order 100,000 copies to be pulped. Similarly, police unions have acted to block any accountability for murderous and racist cops. In response, there has been a major move by grassroots labor activists to push police out of AFL-CIO and the labor movement. The George Floyd Rebellion has prompted several sectors to cut ties with police as well. Fuji Bikes announced that, quote, In the last week, we have seen our bicycles used in violent tactics that we did not intend or design them to be used for, unquote. Fuji is suspending the sale of police bikes. 1,500 mathematicians have signed a petition calling for an end to connections between their profession and police. Mathematicians have played a central role in designing the algorithms behind quote-unquote smart policing and mass surveillance. Tariq Al-Gab of Haverford College declared that, quote, collaborating with police in any capacity contributes to white supremacist violence and oppression. Really, any collaboration between mathematics, which is something that I love and that I find extremely beautiful, and the institution of policing shouldn't happen, unquote. This week, we share a phone conversation between Kijana Tashiri Askari and C. Kijana is incarcerated in the California Medical Facility, a male-only state prison medical institution. C is a member of True Leap Press and has been co-organizing study group networks with several prisoners across the country since 2017. We'll have more about Kijana on our website, including ways to help him and more about his situation. For now, here's a conversation they recorded earlier this week about conditions that Kijana and others are facing, including improper COVID-19 protocol on the part of the prison, retaliatory cell searches, secret transfers of coronavirus-infected prisoners, and the need to release elderly prisoners. Here they are. 
I need this surgery. But these prison doctors are now saying they don't know about that. They want to continue to do testing or whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is the medications, I don't know if they're working or not because the symptoms remain. Still unable to do extensive work as far as, you know, exercising. My activities are, are extremely limited. There's a need for the people to, to continue to put pressure on administrators here at CMF, California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California, which is COVID-19. We are not being provided with hygiene materials, for example, disinfected bleach, access to showers. You know, we live in a, in a cesspool of, uh, where there's all type of bacteria and germs and like, you know, the COVID-19 and what they say is an airborne disease. I've seen on the news with DLU, they don't know if it was due to him now being diagnosed with COVID-19, mm-hmm. but he had no symptoms or knowledge of that he had COVID-19. So we're dealing with the same phenomena of, uh, you know, especially people as myself who have this respiratory problems. So mm-hmm. trying to get that addressed. What are the guards' behavior like? How did they act um, in relation to COVID? I remember when we spoke once when the COVID outbreak first took off inside prisons and jails and detention centers. You said at first they didn't take anything serious, but then all of a sudden, once the uprisings and protests began, uh, they started taking it serious, interestingly. We didn't have masks, right? When the state of California put out the mandate for people to wear masks, Initially, we prisoners were not provided such. Then they came through the course of providing us, I think, a total of four masks and like an eight-ounce bottle of hand sanitizer. This was back in April, I want to say, that this was done. But mind you, the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, I believe it was like late February, early March. So it was like close to five to six weeks where we're walking around vulnerable and exposed that this was done. There's now been a couple of prison guards that they reported has died from COVID-19. There's a total of like 20 prisoners that have died from COVID-19. So once it gets in here, it's it's pretty bad because we're dealing with a cluster-like population as far as them giving us disinfectant so we can clean ourselves or bleach so we can clean ourselves in ourselves regarding showers, access to showers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're basically locked in ourselves as if we're in solitary confinement. And if anyone has ever been to the California Medical Facility in Zacherville, these cells, especially during this time, is, is it, it also gets extremely hot. There's poor ventilation. The windows are, are you know, provide like a greenhouse effect, meaning where the sun beams down on the window, there's little to no room uh, as far as being able to, you know, get relief from the heat inside the cells. Uh, and so you now we're stuck in this situation uh, per the quarantine that has, they have put us on with this COVID-19. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And with that, they have also been violating the protocols, such as the social distance. For example, they have been doing a litany of cell uh, searches, harassing prisoners. You know, mind you, we quarantine, we lock down in ourselves, so it's it's impossible for us to be trafficking contraband when we lock in ourselves, essentially 23 to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not getting the mandated uh, 10 hours a week of outdoor mm-hmm. exercise. 
And when these when these prison guards are doing these searches, they're not wearing the PPE, the personal protective equipment that's required by law mm-hmm. in dealing with this COVID nineteen. Meaning sanitize, uh, mask, gloves, hair nets, or, or head head coverings. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, we prisoners are at a very vulnerable state, and we need the people to speak up. And uh, voice your outrage in this regard because it is getting worse by the day. Like for example, we went out to the to this new exercise yard. It's more it's more or less like a shoot yard, and where our our housing unit is now isolated to this yard, where we're not being socialized with the rest of the prison population due to the fact that now they're trying to uh, micromanage under these COVID nineteen protocols. But when we came in from this yard, we was told that we couldn't shower. And we had to go straight from this dirty, filthy yard. Mind you, COVID-19 is an airborne disease. So we came straight from this dirty, filthy yard into our cells where it is extremely hot, where, you know, the heat is oppressive. And we have very limited hygiene and cleaning material to take care of our personal hygiene. So, you know, the guards in that sense are have been real inconsiderate. You know, like, hey, you know, this COVID-19 phenomenon is taking place. Let's at least let these prisoners, you know, have the opportunity, you know, to wash off uh, in, in the shower. They do not do that. A few months ago, you were taken to um, Marin and uh, they diagnosed you with a heart blockage. And there was a series of struggles that took place where we had phone zaps. We coordinated with um, students um, and people made calls from all over the country. People um, sent emails and um, we publicized about your history of um, activism and organizing um, inside uh, California prison system. And shortly after that, you, uh, your, your cell was particularly raided and they were in search of a, a cellular phone. I'm wondering, um, well, one, they never found a phone. And if I recall, you told me that what ended up happening was they planted a phone. So I, I was wondering if you could tell a little more background about that particular raid and then how uh, these raids seem to be targeting not just any random prisoners, but specifically prisoners that have been known to have a more radical or revolutionary political consciousness, black liberationist consciousness, abolitionist consciousness, or people who are actively organizing. As you know, historically, when you look at COINTELPRO and what the FBI done under J. Edgar Hoover's watch to the BPP, the Black Panther Party, their aim was to neutralize and disrupt by any means what the Black Panthers were doing, being service of the people in our community. It's the same phenomenon behind these walls. It is no secret that I'm a new African revolutionary in the work that I do behind these walls. I was targeted in regards to my political activities and my political beliefs because any time a prisoner cell is raided, by law, it's under California Code of Regulations, Title 15, Section 3287-4. By law, you are supposed to be given a receipt of any contraband removed or taken from that person's particular cell. Um, I wasn't given any to this day. Even on this very same day, other prisoners who are also activists, jailhouse lawyers, and so forth, their cells is also right. Primarily, these are all black prisoners, right? And since I sent out these affidavits uh, to the people's law office, 
you know, for anybody that's, that's interested and won't verify the things that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. This one prisoner, uh, his cell was raided. They put on the cell search receipt that they took miscellaneous items such as essence, toilet paper, soap, and things of that nature. But lo and behold, a couple of days later, he was then issued a rules violation report saying that a cell phone was removed from the cell. And he says, hey, wait a minute. This, why wasn't this listed or documented on my cell search receipt if in fact we found the cell phone in my cell? This, this is not an isolated incident. There's a, a total, at least five prisons that I identified. There are several more that are afraid to come forward because they feel isolated and they fear the retaliation from these fast. We're in a no-win situation because like in my case, I explained to there's nothing that connects me to this alleged cell phone that was found in my cell, allegedly. No text messages, no pictures, no, nothing. Nothing other than this prison guard's words saying that he found this in my cell. The same thing with the brother who was later charged uh, with possession of a cell phone, but it was never documented that one was taken from the cell. He showed this hearing officer, by the way, which was the same hearing officer, a Lieutenant A. Rusega. He shows this lieutenant the cell search receipt that he was given upon the completion of the cell being searched. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, look, why wasn't this documented? So, but the, the lieutenant officer, as he told me, and he told the same brother, he said, hey, look, I will always side on the side of my prison guards. You prisoners, our words don't mean anything. That speaks to the historical precedent of, of the laws of the land when you look at the Dred Scott case in which the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a black man has no rights, that a white man is bound to respect. This same phenomenon of institutional racism is still manifest behind these prison walls. And again, we can point to several examples in which I wrote an article about it called PA Corruption, the Green Wall is still in effect at the California Medical Facility in California. Could you speak a little bit about the need to release elderly prisoners in the midst of this COVID pandemic and how your personal struggle fits into the larger fight for releasing elderly and aging prisoners? There's a need for us as a people to now put our focus on making sure our elders are released back to the communities where they can be provided with the necessary security, protection, in relation to their overall health. When I'm talking about elderly prisoners, this is inclusive of myself, but more importantly, we're talking about people like Rochelle McGee, the Fatih Yayo, the Paul Sangu Jones, the Richard Wayne Day Johnson, the Baridi Yayo. These brothers, including myself, we have long surpassed our minimum eligible parole dates. We have essentially served our times. So keeping us captive really serves no legitimate penological purpose when considering how the COVID-19 in which they do not have a vaccine for. There is no cure. And the body of work that we have done behind these walls speaks to that. Our body of work speaks to empowering our communities on a number of issues, ending gang violence, educating prisoners, you know, uh, on the issue of systemic functional illiteracy that exists in our communities, provide mentorship on a number of issues where we're essentially taking the roles of fathers, grandfathers, uncles. There's no justifiable basis for keeping us captive, you know, inside these walls. You know, Jaleel Mutaqueen, he was just 
denied, released when he put in. So this speaks to the continued domestic genocide. So realistic speaking, what other purpose can we come to when we look at why we haven't been released? We know that, you know, particular black folks or new African black people in this case are more susceptible and vulnerable to the COVID-19. When you look at New York, Louisiana, California, these cases of COVID-19 are now spiraling out of control. So we need to amplify our efforts and demand from the state that, hey, our elders need to be released from these camps in the midst of this COVID-19. Because again, there's no justifiable reason for keeping this uh, held captive uh, behind these walls. And we have several success stories to speak to this. Paul Red, after 44 years, was just liberated from these camps, who's now made a successful transition back into the community. Brother Samaki, Brother Farouk, all these successful examples that we could point to mm-hmm. in which there are now pillars in our community as far as building. So in a sense, in, in essence, it would be a benefit to all if we were liberated from these camps. Mm-hmm. I have a question about support work. What has outside solidarity looked like? Or what do you see as the scale of the support? What is needed? What is lacking? What's needed is for more situations like this where prisoners are provided with the opportunity to speak on these issues, Mm -hmm. to provide a social and political narrative to the communities, to educate and up uh, and bring that awareness about. Mm -hmm. Because there's still a lack of consciousness as far as the detriments associated with COVID-19. What we need is, you know, platforms to amplify our narrative of what's going on behind these walls. Just the other day, they had a protest in which the people were protesting at San Quentin State Prison right in front based on the conditions in which prisoners are being up against. As we were speaking about earlier about what's going on with COVID-19 behind these walls, they are secretly transferring prisoners, right? Like, for example, here at California Medical Facility, they've been transferring prisoners in the city, and as opposed to isolating them in the, in the area by themselves to where other prisoners cannot be exposed to COVID-19, mm-hmm. they've been putting them right here in the midst of us. Putting big yellow signs on their doors saying, hey, this person is being quarantined, but nonetheless, you're letting him out to be around. So that in itself is a contradiction, you know, that needs to be exposed because, again, once that hits inside here, you know, it, it'll be next to impossible to control or put a lid on it. So we need more platforms to which prisoners can provide narratives to where we can, in, in a sense, be reporters behind these walls. That way the people will be informed and that will guide them and allow them to act on our behalf as far as what we're up against. Because, you know, as they're been reporting in the news, it's getting worse. There are more cases. They're trying to say, oh, because more people are being tested. But remind you, we're not even being tested inside these walls. So who knows who actually has and who don't. And that in itself speaks to the domestic genocide. Mm-hmm. When I speak about domestic genocide, that's inherent inside slavery. You know, when we go back historically, when we talk about feudalism, slaveocracy, and so on and so forth. From the words they go, that's that's what it's been. Yes, they've been exploiting us for our labor, but in, in, in the grand scheme of things, 
you know, it's being the annihilation of new African black people and poor people in general, mm -hmm. you know, to advance the interests of this capitalist system. When I talk about domestic genocide, I mean, since talking about the history of, of slavery, slaveocracy, mm -hmm. the prison industrial revolution, mm -hmm. and, you know. So you're talking about that we need to create these platforms for more imprisoned people's narratives to get out there, to shape the discourse of the overall movements and to mobilize people in the proper directions. No one on the outside knows what's going on inside. We need to hear voices such as yours, Kijana. I also want to add that if, we, if and when we create these platforms, we also have to, when we publicize prisoners' voices and we share your stories, we have to be there with you because it's all one struggle at base. What's happened is in this COVID period, a number of imprisoned folk that I work with closely, such as you, Ivan Kilgore and Stephen Wilson in Pennsylvania as well, among others, all have spoken out publicly. Um, what's happened after all of you have spoken out is um, retaliation has happened almost immediately. So for instance, Ivan was interviewed by Vice News and then an investigative unit in the prison charged him uh, as the person with the blurred face in the interview footage. Um, and then Vice News didn't do we did a phone zaps for him, and now he's going to get transferred to a location with um, one of the highest levels of COVID in the California system. There, there's a way in which when we do create these platforms, we need to make sure that we understand the asymmetries and differences in risk that people are taking in putting narrative out in the world. People on the outside, they take so for granted the quote unquote freedoms of expression, right? Like there's incredible repression on the outside but saying anything about these situations it's just terrible when people put voices out there and then abandon folks i just want to make sure that like as we're doing this people are mobilizing and not just voyeuristically learning about the violence uh, i want people to be activated and plugged in people need to recognize you know oppression breeds resistance so while recognizing the fact that we are being oppressed Inside these walls, create the various forms and the streams of fascism. You know, it is to be expected. Recognizing that it is to be expected, we have to then begin to prepare ourselves to take action and deal with the situation. It is a protracted struggle. We cannot expect that, you know, hey, then emotionally or subjectively that things could change or somehow get better. There's a publication that the Life and Support Alliance is circulating, in which they're speaking to CDCR has essentially been shut down. So in the case of Ivan now being transferred for exercising his human right to free of speech, you know, that issue needs to be addressed. Because like I say, that's, that speaks to along the lines of these other secret transfers in respective prisoners with, you know, with just COVID-19 are being transferred uh, covertly. That has always been the nature of our, of our struggle. Oppression breeds resistance, and it, and it evolves in cycles, one phase to the next. So, you know, it is to be expected. As you know, I done did, you know, over two decades in solitary confinement, and that's the nature of uh, fascism that we was up against. We're talking about male censorship. The, the inability to connect and build human bridges with the people out in the community. So I'm all too familiar with that phenomenon. And again, that speaks to the imperative as to why these platforms need to be created 
So the system, the state cannot operate with impunity. Essentially, we prisoners are exercised by human constitutional rights to free speech and expression along the lines associated with people with similar political, social, cultural, and religious ideas and philosophies that are protected upon the law. This has been KiteLine. Please keep sharing the number for our coronavirus hotline. You can call in on behalf of a loved one or they can call in to record their message about the impact of the coronavirus on their facility at 765-343-6236. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.